And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I got to tell you, friends, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers can be really difficult. I think we all know that. But Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Now, friends, I don't think it's any great secret that I enjoy talking about women, women's issues. I love talking to female founders. Uh, It's kind of the bread and butter of my day. And I'm really, really, really excited to bring today's guest on. We have with us today Sarah Dusek, and she is the co-founder of Enigma Ventures. And we're going to be talking about a lot of really interesting stuff. So I'm just going to hop right into it. First things first, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Sarah. It's my absolute pleasure. What a delight and a joy. Thank you for having yeah, me. It is going to be wonderful. And you have a lovely accent, by the way. I did not mention that in prep, but my goodness, I feel like we're going to have a very refined, lovely conversation. So we're going to go ahead and kick right into it. And I'm going to ask you to tell us about your journey. Let's hear it. <laughs> so um, I I could take you way back when, but I'm not going to. Um, but <laughs> Um, In context with what I do now, um, I'm an investor in Enigma Ventures. Enigma Ventures is a um, venture capital fund that invests in female entrepreneurs in Africa. And before you ask me the question, how on earth did you end up being an investor in female women women in Africa? Um, the, The answer to that question is I started my journey as an entrepreneur myself. So I built a company in the United States called Under Canvas, um, which I grew and scaled for about a decade before finally selling it in 2018. And one of the things that I realized as a female founder was it's really hard to grow and scale a company. One, it's even harder to raise capital as a female founder. Two, so my own journey with trying to raise capital made me realize if I ever sold my company, if we ever, you know, came out of the the long journey and hardship of trying to build something great, um, that I would pay it forward and invest in other women. Uh, and so that's what I do today. I'm investing in other women, helping other women grow and scale their businesses. That. Absolutely incredible. And and I'm sure you can imagine that I I know at least some of the answers to the question that I'm about to ask you. But I want to ask for the benefit of the audience. And I'm going to ask, why do you think it's so hard for women to found companies and raise money in our current, current climate? I think there are two reasons, actually. Um, One we could be cynical about, and the other one I think we can do something about. Um, the cynical 
answer to that question is that 95% of the people who are doing investing are men. Um, and, you know, we can be uncynical about this as well, really, in the sense that um, all of us have bias. Everyone, sure. everyone has bias. And so investors in particularly are looking to invest in things that they understand, that they can connect with, they can connect with you, the founder. It's a whole lot harder for a male investor to connect with female entrepreneurs, particularly if they don't resonate with the product or service or the business that you're trying to build. Yeah. So I think that's definitely one factor. We've not got enough women writing checks. Fact sure. number one. Well, so before before you you delve into number two, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna drill down on this just a, a teeny tiny bit, and I'm gonna say, you know, not too long ago, I, I I watched a TED talk, and I do not remember the name of the speaker, but she talked about the fact that in investment rooms, she would hear they they actually used an AI tool to to record. Um, investor pitches. And then they pulled language when they were pulling the language, they found that most found or most VCs, most investors were asking very growth oriented questions to their male pitchers and founders. And then they were asking very defensive safety related questions around to their to their female founders and the reasoning is exactly what you're saying like there is an unconscious bias and it changes everything about the way that we invest in women but certainly not the least of which is how we talk about women who need yeah. investment right so i just wanted to mention that and then really quickly the other thing that i want to mention is you know I talk to female founders all day and I can't tell you the number of times I've been talking to a female founder who had a, a product that was designed for females because often we both know that founders, they're often solving a problem that they've experienced in their own life, right? So when you're talking to panels of men as a woman who has a product that is designed for and by women, I don't understand. Um, it's, they don't understand. And so I've talked to so many female founders who are like, they didn't get the product. They didn't understand the market potential. They didn't understand the crux of the problem that we're solving. And so those are just two ways that bias shows up in the way that we, the way that female founders approach the world and the way that the world approaches female founders. So I just wanted to get a little bit specific there was yes. number one. <laughs> number one is the reason I became an investor because um, the reality is, I think, is if more women are not doing investing, <laughs> more women are not going to get funded. Right. Um, precisely for the reasons that, that you just mentioned. And, you know, women are perceived uh, differently. We under, you know, men understand products and services that women build differently or don't right. get it, don't connect with it. So it's it's a challenging phenomenon because it's a world dominated by men right well what is problem number one yeah i mean and it's it's a big problem with many many facets and a lot of nuance and you know it's really really difficult to control human instinct and behavior so absolutely and you know in in lots of there's lots of reasons that human instinct is what it is and we're not going to change that so you know yeah less more women get in the ring um that's right second reason (laughs) Um, and what I've encountered being an investor, um, looking to invest in women, um, only 2% of all women founded businesses 
ever do more than a million dollars of revenue. Now, what that says is that women are not thinking big enough. Um, Women are not thinking about building the kind of businesses that are investable in. And by that, I mean you to, to receive venture capital, to receive backing from institutional investors, you have to be thinking huge. You have to be thinking $100 million plus huge. Right. Um, and so the it's not that women can't do that. It's almost like nobody told women that that's what's required. And so I right. think I think uh, women have have stayed in a safety zone of of playing in lifestyle businesses or or playing in a um, product and service area that they know and understand and feel comfortable in. Um, they've kind of got we've kind of got stuck in small business world. Um, yeah. And no one has shared information that says this is what we're looking for. This is what it takes. This is what you need to be communicating. This is how you need to be projecting. This is how you need to be thinking to build that kind of business. And I think for many women, um, we've not really understood why we should build big businesses. I think that's right. a bit of a problem because we're trying to juggle our lives and our homes and our families and our kids and you know, trying to have careers. But like no one has said, actually, it's really important that you think bigger than you are today, that you build a big business. And here's right. why. Um, and here's why it matters that you do that and you stop thinking small and you stop thinking about having a little lifestyle business and you start thinking about taking your seat at the table. And I think so. So there's all sorts of gaps there, which I think contribute to the to the lack of funding going to women. Um not thinking big enough and not necessarily understanding the rules around what being investable looks like. Yeah. Well, and I just, I want to be very, very clear because the the second problem, it feels like women are the answer. Like we, but, but again, we're, we're faced with like a very nuanced, very, so, so the second is actually, the second issue is actually informed by the first, you know, for, for so many women. Yeah, for so many women, for all of our lives, we are told that, you know, you are, you are responsible for the families, and that's where your focus needs to be. And, you know, as we come up through school, as we matriculate, maybe our our teachers, and maybe the folks who are uh, charged with kind of instilling that sort of entrepreneurial belief, like maybe they're more focused on the boys in the class. And, 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 and so, you know, you have this this world surrounding you that is filled with bias and is fit. And I can't tell you, even to this day, I am still, you know, I'm a CEO and founder for the longest time. I had really, I had difficulty introducing myself as a CEO because I felt like I was bragging Mm. and it felt like I was being ego when in fact, it was just a fact, like this is my title, you know? And I feel as though the second piece, you know, women are conditioned by the world around them to, to play small and to, to stay safe because that, that's what our role, you know, we're the nurturers, we're the collaborators. We're not, we don't tend to be, you know, hashtag not, not always, but you know, we, we are, we tend to be safer. We tend to be smaller. And, and so 
it's this mishmash of problems and areas of opportunity that we need to address, right? Is, is that your feeling on the on the subject? Hundred <laughs> percent, because and that's part of the reason why we need more women to break out, right, and show yeah. what's possible. Because we also haven't seen, we had largely haven't had a lot of role models. We haven't seen what's possible, you know. This this year, I think the the crazy stat came out that for the first time there were more female CEOs running Fortune 500 companies than there were men named John. Woo! (laughs) That's alarming! (laughs) It is a ridiculous stat. So (laughs) there's a shortage of women doing obvious, visible, high-profile things in the world. And so... We are surrounded by glass ceilings that we don't even necessarily see um, and which changes our perceptions. It changes about our belief about what's possible, about what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. And of course, we still have the challenges of women are predominantly bearing all the responsibility for um, homemaking and child rearing. Yeah. And that's a burden that isn't going to go away very quickly or very easily. Right. And we, you know, that, that equal partnership thing and, and, and uh, to be, you know, perfectly frank, like I believe that we need to put more social support and infrastructure in place to support our parents. And I'm not just saying women, I think that all parents need to be better supported through education systems, childcare, um, you know, societal understanding of the, of what is required. Um, you know, but there, there really is a deep gap and it, it, we talk about we talk about these gaps and and they compound each other right you know you start very young and all of a sudden the girls aren't necessary we're not as good at math and science and the stem related fields and so we get less attention there and then as we grow up you know those gaps widen and they become even wider you know as we go as we decide on our majors like maybe we were told that we couldn't get into tech or we shouldn't get into tech fields because they're unforgiving as a parent and we're trying to arrange our lives around it so compounding issues you know they they build on each other and then the gaps grow so you are doing some really really fantastic important work in in this space i'm curious i you you mentioned women in africa can i ask why africa i would love to hear yes yes the the why off africa piece is i started my career um as an early 20 something year old in africa working for an ngo uh, I fell in love with the continent. I fell in love um, with the people and and the experience of the African bush, which is ultimately what inspired the business I built in the States. Um, and when we started thinking about this idea of, of investing and, and using our time and our energy to help other women go on the journey that I had been on, um, we realized our capital could go a lot further. Uh, mm-hmm. We potentially could drive more change, more impact faster. Um, and so thinking about, you know, a, a developing context made us think maybe we could really move the needle, you know, with our little bit yeah. of capital, maybe it could be even more impactful than if we did that in the United States. Same thing in the United States. So that and was I mean, really easy. 
not only does your dollar, I, I feel like your dollar probably stretches a lot further, like a $500 investment in a small woman owned business in Africa. That is, that's a game changer. Yeah, and then and I, I write $500,000 checks. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> um, so we write, we write big checks um, for, for capable, extraordinary women wanting to build multi-million dollar businesses because I believe, you know, and this is part of the reason why I think women should build big companies is that the more women uh, have access to wealth, the more women who have created wealth, the better our world will be. I think women um, have the possibility. You know, I'm going to want to drill down on that. So so why, I I think I know, but why do you think that is? (laughs) I, well, if we go back to equality for a second and we just think about, you know, who is building our world right now, the people who are building our world, the entrepreneurs that are building our world and who are inventing things and creating things and creating products and services and technology and all these things. Those people are people who are getting funded, right? The the people who are getting funded are building our world for all of us. So if we don't also have women at the table building the world, the future of what the world is going to look like is going to continue to increase inequalities and is only going to be designed for a certain subsect of people. And that certain subsect of people is not the majority. And that's a problem. That's a problem on almost every level. So if we don't start increasing the diversity and not just gender, but also geography and race, um, we're going to build a world that is not for everyone. And that's why we need all sorts of people at the table building the future. Right. Um, building the technologies of tomorrow, building the well, solutions to problems that exist today that, you know, we don't want to exist tomorrow. And, and that's why that's why we've got to have some diversity in the mix. For sure. Well, and, and I'll add that when women are funded, when women are well capitalized, when they have access to the resources and the support that they need, women also, the data shows us time and time again, that women have this really great tendency to put a a large focus on things like healthcare and education and putting money back into the communities that they serve. And so, so at the macro level, like we're, you're talking about the macro level, but at the micro level, you're seeing small communities going from strength to strength and finally having access to the resources and tools that they need in order to thrive. And it's because of how women tend to conduct business. Now, when it, when I make these general statements, I just want to be really clear, friends. Like, not everybody, but the data, like I, I think in terms of data and I think in terms of majority, like the majority of female founders tends to put more focus on human-centered initiatives, uh, community-based yes. assistance, you know, things like that. And so when we lift women up, and, and and I live by I live my life, my whole life by this this one empirical fact: when we support women, our world is better supported. Absolutely. Yeah. Hundred and ten percent, and you're you're absolutely right. And the data is there to prove it. Women generally are much more focused, um, and maybe this is 
you know, societal preconditioning to building communities and building wealth and building solutions for everyone right. and not, not just for themselves. Um, and so the impact, the impact women can drive seems to be infinitely greater um, than the average comparable male. They, they create exponential impact in that. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for those ripples that reach outward. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, so speaking of supporting people, I'm going to break in here really quick. And I'm just going to tell you that, you know, Startup Hustle, we deal with a lot of tech founders and we know that software development can be really difficult. A lot of that is related to talent, you know, making sure that you're, you're finding the right people to help build your build your tech product. And it can be really, really hard. Um, finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, though, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Friends, just a reminder, we are here with Sarah Dusek. She is the co-founder of Enigma Ventures. And we're talking about some pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Um, you know, the fact is, we, we, Sarah and I share a deep desire to help and support female founders. And there are a lot of reasons for that. So I'm curious, um, you know, you're, you're helping entrepreneurs in Africa, and, and I love that because I can't even imagine the, the impact that you are having in that space. Talk to us a little bit more about your journey, though. From what I understand, I mean, you've been a longtime advocate. You've, you've even won some awards for the support that you offer to, to women. And I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Can you tell us a little bit more about Sarah? <laughs> Of course, yes. So I started my entrepreneurial journey by accident um, and didn't really intend to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I started my career as an aid worker, as I as I mentioned. Yeah. And um, after seven or eight years of uh, tirelessly working away in the field, was burned out, disillusioned and pretty darn exhausted. And that's when it sort of hit me really this idea that um, saving the world or solving some of the world's biggest problems um, was not necessarily going to be achieved uh, through the vehicle that I was uh, attached to. The, the nonprofit vehicle is not very good at solving problems, not very good at innovating. But businesses, the whole essence of a business is it's designed to solve a problem. Um, and that's when I started to get really curious about this idea of uh, entrepreneurship which was really troubling in my head at the time because I had come from the nonprofit world that said you know that making money was evil effectively you know it's yeah. the dark side of the universe it's, um, it's right there in not, the name nonprofit. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly so it was like do not go to the dark side um, but the dark side was calling me and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be corrupted by the evil forces of capitalism. <laughs> I, I, incidentally, I hear that, too. Uh, you know, so, so I'm Innovate Her KC. We're a, we're a social we're not we're not a nonprofit. We're a social entrepreneurship uh, mechanism. And one of the reasons that I give a lot of thought to like, should we be a nonprofit? It would open up a lot of grant opportunities for us. But at the same time, like I enjoy running a social impact focused 
yeah. for-profit organization. Exactly. Well, and I, when we, we had that realization that actually um, a sustainable vehicle that is designed to solve a problem and be sustainable yeah. is, is effectively a business. And this whole idea that a business could do good at the same time was kind of when I started to think about this sort of 10 over 15 years ago now it was kind of a revolutionary thought not so revolutionary these days thank goodness it is Um, starting to to seep into becoming much more mainstream (laughs) Uh, you know the idea of social entrepreneurship much more a mainstream idea um, impact investing much more a mainstream idea um, driving change through capital much more much more normal idea Um, but you know for me that was the realization which kind of led my 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 own journey into an entrepreneurship which was like well if i think now that business is a better vehicle for driving change and doing good in the world i better learn something about going into business yeah <laughs> so that'd be a good uh, first step for sure <laughs> yeah so that we we my husband and i went into business together our first business was a complete and utter failure we launched just before the great financial crash in 2007, and we started with a social entrepreneurship idea um, that was a brilliant social idea and a great business idea. Just the financial housing market crash was a disaster for this particular business. So we had a failure right out of the gate, which actually, folks, <laughs> is kind of how it goes. That's okay. Um, yeah it's pretty pretty normal um to experience not everything going going right um and that was certainly my journey um and then we stumbled on this idea of recreating the safari experience um the african safari experience in the u.s i married an american i married a montana man and as you can probably tell from my accent i am not from montana I feel um, like, yeah, yeah, I probably got that. <laughs> that is where I ended up uh, in the United States after marrying my husband uh, out on the wild prairie of Montana with this crazy sort of deja vu feeling of like, wow, this is actually very similar to this big vast savannas of, of Africa and that I have lived and worked in, which sparked a crazy idea, which was... Could is it crazy build? or is it brilliant? Well, I think it was brilliant because it's, <laughs> we created a, um, an amazing company that that many millions of people across the country have come to love and know. Um, we founded Under Canvas in 2009. And today, Under Canvas has large-scale glamping resorts outside of most of America's national parks. We're in 12, 12 national parks across the country. <laughs> You know, I, I definitely saw that and, and I got really excited because I, I, I've never gone glamping. I've gone camping many, many, many times, but I love the concept of glamping. <laughs> Can I so add? Much fun. So much less work. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I was actually looking into doing an IHK re- retreat on glamping. I came across this company that they, they had their, their glamping grounds, but they also had a service where for like an additional x amount of dollars a day they would bring you a nighttime s'more service (laughs) i'm like how fun does that sound that sounds amazing (laughs) well that is very very cool and then you were able to take this this newfound understanding of entrepreneurship and building a business and then apply it 
in your current work? Because I, I imagine that as you are talking to founders, it probably makes them feel pretty good that you you have a deep understanding of building a business, yes. what that looks like and feels like. Well, that was one of the frustrations with meeting VCs uh, and investors is most investors have only ever written checks. They've right. not necessarily operated and grown and scaled and really understand the pain. They might understand the pain from being the investor and, you know, an investment right. not working out. And but I'm sure that there are many pains. <laughs> there are many, many pains. We'll, we'll, we'll just say that across the board, there's pains for everyone. Um, but the, the specific pain of growing and scaling and being responsible for growing a business yourself um, is, is a very unique journey. And so I happen to think, you know, the best investors are people who really understand that journey and have been yeah. on it themselves. Well, and so, so I love to use examples because examples are very helpful to me. And so I always try to like provide a little bit of context around the conversation at hand. And, and so just as a, for instance, um, and I'm actually going to be speaking about, you know, venture capital in terms of uh, intersectional investment, like, you know, invest in women, but also invest in women of color. Um, there's that stat out there that says, you know, 2.2% of venture capital funding goes to female founded businesses. But when you look at businesses that are funded by women of color, you see 0.00006%, which is alarmingly small. And yes. so, so I'm going to talk about this in the context of intersectionality. But one of the things that investors often ask is, did you do a friends and family round? Yeah. That is one of the first bits of criteria that that VCs often because in their mind and correct me if I'm wrong, but in their mind, I think they they're asking the question to make sure that the founder has dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, done everything that they can to build the business before they seek venture capital funding, and that's that's a very valid thought. But then at the same time, when you're talking to people who come from communities where their family and their friends they don't have a spare thousand dollars that, or even twenty thousand. They don't have that spare cash yes. to throw at your business. And so it's again, a privileged thing to ask. It it's is a very privileged statement that expects founders um, to have put a lot of their own skin in the game, exactly, uh, or have raised money from friends and family. And so when we're talking about, you know, like there, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect and it's what Sarah's, you know, referencing, there's a bit of a disconnect between what is actionable and possible on the founder side and what is expected by the VC side, particularly when we're talking about historically marginalized and excluded communities like women and people of color. So I just wanted to take a beat to kind of highlight that a little bit, but I, I think that you're absolutely right. Um, one of the reasons um, we decided when we first started investing that um, we would hold open applications for funding rather than um, most VCs accept an int introduction by someone else, right? So yeah. if, you get an, if you get to pitch to a VC, it's usually because someone you knew someone who knew someone who made an introduction for you, that you were well networked in the right kind of kind of space. Now, yeah. for, the, for the exact same group of people that you were just mentioning, and, and I put myself in this category, I was not well networked. I was not moving in Ivy League circles. I was not moving in circles with people who had money um, to either invest in me 
or who could make introductions to people who could invest in me. Yeah. I was I felt completely outside of that particular social set. Um, and so one of the things that was important for us to do was try and democratize that process and try and make it open and free to all, yeah. right? So that you're competing um, against other ideas or execution, people doing things, you know, that are better than you rather than just did they happen to know the right person that made, right. made them more opportunity. Um, so we hold open applications three times a year. I um, we effectively say, here's, here's the cheat sheet. Here's exactly what we need to see. Yeah. And, and if you're not doing it right now, here's a course and mentorship over here that will help you work on your business to help you get here. And here are the steps. So, you know, here's what we're looking for. Submit your application um, and, and we'll meet with you yeah. without necessarily having to have had a warm introduction. Well, and I and I, I love that so much. And I, I I actually use the phrase democratize access like really, really frequently because I, I don't you don't know this, but innovate her KC like that is our reason to exist. How do we help women build out their networks? And here's the thing, like I've, I I I know a lot of VCs. Uh, just by nature of what I do. And I have the, I, I've invited like the female VCs that I know. I'm like, Hey, join the innovator community. And they've told me that will never happen because, and I think that the fear is that I join this community and all of a sudden I have all of these female founders and entrepreneurs who all of a sudden have access to me and they're going to be beating down my door and sending me the DMS. And it's like, in my head, I'm like, good. <laughs> That's exactly yes. what we want because yes. as it stands, we are not found as a, as a country, as a world, we are not found. We are not funding the best ideas. We are funding the best positioned founders. Yes. And we guess what the best positioned founders usually are. They are yeah. usually not women or people of color. They're not. No, they <laughs> usually come from a particular, they've gone to a particular school, come from a particular geography or had a certain social network already or have built their own social network already because of the school that they went to. Yeah. And that therefore is exclusionary. And it, it, it doesn't create a world where we're, we're funding and seeing the best ideas come to life. It's just he who yeah. has the most money already wins because he can effectively get in front of other people with more money. And that's how we, that's how we keep the poor poor. That's how we keep, uh, certain genders down. It's how we how we oppress people. I mean, that's that's what we've been doing for hundreds and thousands of years, sure. right? We're that's very very good at it. it. We're very We're comfortable really here. We're, really, <laughs> We're excellent at it. I mean, that's how the West was won. Yeah. Um, and so there's no there's no real imperative to change the status quo, right? Unless people like you and me stand up and say this is not right. And we're going to do things differently. And this is, you know, this is a small change that I can make, you know, imagine yeah. if just, you know, 10 VC funds did that instead and said, I'll, we'll take open applications. We'll give you feedback. We'll show you what, what our criteria is, what we want you to be doing, what we're specifically looking for, what you could do better. I mean, imagine how, how just impactful tiny little change could be. Yeah. I mean, extraordinary. Just, a, just a little bit more. A little bit more access, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> just don't well, even have to open the floodgate. Just maybe open the window, just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. But 
it's so crucial. And, and, and I maintain, and this is something that I talk about very often with the innovator community, like going back to that best ideas thing. The fact is, if we fund the best ideas, we all benefit everybody, male, female, white, black, Hindu, you know, Christian, like whatever it is, we all benefit because the solutions that we see are better. (laughs) And that's my big macro argument. Yeah. um, if if a diverse group of people are bringing their best solutions for solving the the world's biggest problems that affect everybody, that's a better world for everyone. And actually, we're yeah. all safer, we're all healthier. Um, our world is in better shape when everyone is being uh, attended to and uh, has a seat. Yeah. So a while back, and I, I don't know if you saw this, Sarah, I've talked about it on the show before because it just, it blew my mind when it happened. But uh, these two founders, and they they were, they were guys, gentlemen, um, they went on to, I want to say it was Shark Tank, but they went on to like some pitch competition or something like that. And they got, they got funded. And the product that they had been selling was, it was a glove. It was a pink glove. It was designed for women. This is two male founders, designing a product for women, which is fine. Like I have no problem with that. But that being said, they had designed this glove to, uh, you put it on and you use it to take out your feminine hygiene item out of your, and the thing is every single woman watching the show and watching this unfold was like, this is not a problem. This has never been a problem for us. Like this is, was not needed. And in my head, my, I immediately jumped to like, seriously, Hey guys, we don't have a problem taking care of our feminine hygiene stuff. Promise. Like we we're used to it at this point, but you know, in my head, I was just, I was so blown away because I was like that funding could have gone yeah. anywhere else <laughs> rather than going to the most useless product design in the world. Like not only clearly yeah. these founders had never, did not have a woman on their product design team. Like I can't, or I can't imagine that they did. Maybe they did, but I don't understand. Uh, it would have been surprising if they did. Let's just say that, that. It would have been surprising because I, every single woman that I talked to about the situation was like, yeah, that's not a problem. <laughs> and, no, I mean, and so, and I would never buy a product designed to solve a problem that I don't have. So, exactly. and then, but, that's but the other piece. VCs usually are looking for, right? Yeah. Is that you care <laughs> about the problem that you're solving, that this is a problem that you connect with. Yes. It's really hard to believe in a founder when you're not connected to your problem. I mean, it's odd. It's really disconnected. It really is. About it. I, you should totally Google it. I can't remember what the product was called, but I, I just, and I was just stunned because I was like, think about how, I, I don't remember, it was a significant dollar amount that they ended up raising mm-hmm. uh, and they, they gave away an equity stake, which is fine. But I was just in my head, I'm like, there's so many women's issues, particularly related to menstrual health that are so underfunded as to be disheartening and laughable. Like that money could have been so much better placed where it could have made a real difference. You know, I have uh, a group of female uh, investor friends and we often play the game that's called which was the craziest investment you've heard of recently yeah. and you know some of the things they're getting funded are not just I mean not just embarrassing but shame shameful like you know 
that the thing that we would think it would be fine to spend $200 million on an app that tells you which watch you should wear. I mean, yeah. you know, for those of us who are working in the developing world and, and spending money uh, in, <laughs> in markets that we could really save lives by yeah. investing in companies and services that would make it, you know, you know, $200 million, for example, could, you know, what we could what could do we could do with that is extraordinary and so so some of what we see getting invested in is just it is insulting it is shameful that we still think in this day and age that certain things are acceptable and that we are prioritizing the idea of of making money at all costs just because something sounds like a good idea right um, is is mind-blowing and you know at the moment you know, some of that is coming back to bite VCs because we're in a difficult economic climate. And yeah. We're starting to see valuations of companies drop and, you know, cash is more expensive and it's, it's tougher times out there. But still, I'm not seeing a massive shift. Uh, I'm not seeing a conversation that's being driven around um, how can we invest our money smarter and better and drive yeah. the most change and do the most good? And when we start having those conversations, that's when we're going to start to see the whole VC yeah. space start to really change. Well, I cannot wait for that day. And I'm honored and privileged to be talking. I not be in my life. You know, like we're, we're in the, in the fight together. Uh, I mean, I just know that there are some incredible actors out there who are, there are doing really great work and and certainly you're one of them. So I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some actionable advice and I'm going to go back to what you love, which is helping women not just build business, but build big business, you know, big revenue, big impact, big uh visibility. Like let's so to the female founders out there who are looking to do that to accomplish that to build a highly scalable investable bankable company what advice would you give them work backwards okay and by that i mean start at the end and and practically work it back step by step so um, i often see women who can't build financial models and i couldn't build a financial model to be honest um, mm -hmm. but i can build back of the envelope um plan which yeah. starts with the end number. So if you think, okay, I'd like to build a company uh, that's worth $100 million one day. Um, right, so there's your end goal. All right, so um, and maybe in your industry, companies are valued three or four times their revenue or they're 10 times their EBITDA, for example. So, so get some understanding about how companies in your space get valued. Usually it's a multiple of EBITDA or a multiple of revenue, just really simple, basic stuff, right? EBITDA, if you're not aware, it's uh, earnings. You're going to have to help me with this. Earnings before it's, interest, taxes, amortization. <laughs> Wait, what is it? Amortization. I'm missing Depreciation. One. Depreciation. Huh? Appreciation. Depreciation. Thank you. <laughs> we don't even really need to understand that. We can yeah. just understand it as our profit, right? As our, as our bottom line. Just keep yeah. it simple. Don't even have to like, understand the crazy financial metric but um if you if you think okay i'm looking for say i've got to do 30 million dollars of revenue to have a company that's worth 100 million dollars all right what is it going to take to do 30 million dollars of revenue 
How many customers do I have to serve? How many how many people do I need to see every day or products do I need to sell? And break it down, break it down into simple steps. Yeah. So if you know this is the number of customers, like, okay, work backwards over three or four years. Start and then say, okay, we could get there in year five or year six or year seven or whatever and work backwards so that you start to know, okay, this year I've got to serve this many customers. Next year, I've got to serve that many customers. The year after that, I've got to serve that many customers or however you, however it makes sense to break it down, but break it down into bite-sized chunks and you start to do that by working backwards. How do you eat an elephant, folks? One bite at a time. (laughs) That's right. That's right. All right. So we have now come up to the human question. We actually went a little bit over time, but it's because I've loved this conversation so much. Uh, But I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, all right, this is kind of a weird question, but it just popped into my head. What is your favorite smell? Favorite smell? Jasmine. (gasps) Yes. The smell of jasmine. Or um. When it rains in Africa and the smell of red dirt. Okay. Do you know? So that is my favorite smell, but it is also my favorite word. Do you know what that is called? No. It's called petrichor. There is a word where it is the the smell that releases from earth after a rain. It's called wow. petrichor. And it's my favorite word. And it's I don't actually I don't know if it's my favorite scent, but it's one of my favorite scents. <laughs> one of mine too it's a really yeah. amazing thing and I never knew there was words and for it, I so know I the word for it oh, I know. For. <laughs> you knew. Uh, and I just I love that I just thought that I was like it kind of sounds like a mythological creature like a manticore yeah, but like cooler <laughs> way cooler way yeah. way cooler all right. So fun fact for you and fun fact for you, friends. Uh, we've also got we've got something else pretty fun here. Uh, we have Startup Hustle. I don't even know if you know this, but Startup Hustle is executive produced by Full Scale. And I got to tell you, friends, I've talked to a lot of Full Scale clients and customers and they're really, really satisfied because the fact is it is really, really hard to build a technology company or to build a technology product. So if you need to hire engineers, testers, or leaders, full scale can definitely help. They have the people in the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At full scale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. And I do want to point you to one of my fabulous co-host. I've been thinking about him a lot uh, this particular episode because Andrew Morgans was raised for a large portion of his life in Africa. And he talks about that on his episodes of the show. Now, he is also the our resident e-commerce guru. So I, I point you to him if you are interested in selling product online, particularly Amazon. He is just incredible. His company, Marknology, is amazing at Amazon. Um, but definitely give his issue, his episodes a listen. Uh, smart guy, one of the actually one of the smarter guys I know, and does a really fantastic job of pointing out ways that people can sell online better. So definitely do that, friends. We are extraordinarily grateful that you come back and you listen to us week after week. Uh, we want to hear from you. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us what you want to hear about. But. Above all, don't hesitate to reach out. We are here for you, and we're going to continue to do so. We will catch you next time. 
Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>